0: This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.
1: It's one of the few things you can go through in life that show you who your friends really are and what they really mm. believe, not just say, but you know, actions that are louder than anything they could ever say. And uh, I would assume it's no different than, you know, you know, a politician deciding to run, you know, or something. You just got to turn the volume off on the negativity and turn the volume up on the positivity and just put one foot in front of the other, you know.
0: Remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your Call to Adventure.
2: Welcome back to Call to Adventure. Uh, Episode 20 here on Ohm Radio 96.3. My name is Alex Alexopoulos, and I have with our partner in peace, John Duckworth. uh, And today we have a really special and unique guest. More people have traveled in space than have raced by sail around the globe alone. Only 15 Americans have done so. Brad Van Leeu is one of them. He is now the only American to ever finish three solo races around the globe, Racking up more than 300,000 miles on the precious 70% of the planet covered in water. At age 48, Brad is America's undisputed king of solo sailing. He calls Charleston his port of choice and has a daughter, Tate, and a boy, Wyatt, and is married to his wife, Amy. Welcome to the show. Good job. The Take three was a huge success. It takes a lot of That's practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to get into lots of adventures with you, and I'm uh, I'm curious by uh, one of the questions we ask our guests is just the qualities that you admire in someone and those you deplore. Um, tell us a little bit about those.
1: Well, um, I, you know, I think as I wrote um, when I was doing my thinking about your questions. Um, I'm not like really a starstruck kind of guy. And, uh, and, um, to me, I'm more character based. I'm not saying that I have perfect character, but I try to try to do the best I can. And, um, one of my proudest moments that really locally gave me, uh, a real strong place in my heart was, uh, you know, the, the, the whole episode of what happened in Charleston post the murders at the AME church, you know, mm. um, I think our leadership, um, spiritual and and governmental leadership, uh, really did a great job and and um, kept the peace in a time when it's very rare. I think for a community um, given such a, a racially charged event to hold hands and uh, and to show the world that um, a mutual respect for each other's not only skin color, but culture and everything else. You know, I think everybody in Charleston was my hero that day. Pre your first adventure out on the open seas, uh, walk us
2: through in our audience through what life was like for you as a youth. I mean, what direction were you
1: headed sort of pre this leap into the unknown? I come from a family um, of enablers, and um, my mom and dad would have much preferred me outdoors doing something crazy than watching TV. And, um, I, I did grow up rather uh, in a rather privileged environment. So there was, um, you know, uh, some money to, to adventure with. And, um, we had a big horse program. I showed horses, um, Western stock horses for years and was a competitor, sort of a nurtured competitor from the time I could really walk and, um, then got into motocross pretty heavily and 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 uh you know we we were big campers and a lot of Baja experience and a lot of you know just the southern cali you know the collegiate ski racer and you know sort of always outdoors doing stuff you know sort of from day one and and uh when did when did sailing come into the picture um so Sailing, uh, was a little bit, a little bit of a surprise. I, you know, everybody assumes cause I re- grew up in San Diego that that was yeah. a tie. It wasn't, it was a summer camp that I went to up in Seattle, Washington oh, in, really? on Puget Sound. Yeah. Okay. And, um, went up there for extended, you know, when I was six, I went for a month by the time I was eight, I was going for six weeks in the summer. And so I did all their sailing programs. It was on the water. And, um, even then, you know, I loved racing and sailing dinghies, but uh, even then, my favorite outings were, you know, a group, a, a counselor and a group of eight of us um, took war canoes um, from Orcas Island up to Vancouver and paddled our way to Vancouver. And those were sort of my, mm. from day one, I just loved going places, you know, and on the water and thought it was cool. So, uh, and, you know, the sailing was really a means to an end. You know, it wasn't the act of, you know, I've never been... You know, mm-hmm. I did a lot, I've obviously done a lot of buoy racing and a lot of local type racing, but for me, that r- really isn't what turned my crank. It was always a, um, getting somewhere. Yeah. Means to an end to adventure. Okay. Okay. It was a skill set that I needed to do that.
3: Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we're talking about you know, paddling the Puget Sound and then at, at what point do you go, I want to go around the world? You know, I mean, that's a big leap. You, yeah. You know.
1: Well, you know, so I, so I did, I, again, you know, I, I got pretty lucky my, my my father's brother um, had a pretty uh, serious sailboat racing team, a okay. uh, keelboat race team in Newport, Rhode Island. And a lot of my family's from the Rhode Island, um, Connecticut, Long Island area. And so I started going after summer camp time frame. I started racing on as an apprentice on his race program and living on the boat in Newport. Hmm. And um, eventually ran his race boat and others. And, uh, you know... The races I always liked were the overnighters, and eventually, I think by the time I was like 14, it was the first time that I did the Newport to Bermuda race, which at that point was like my coolest thing, you know? It's a big deal. Yeah. And then in 1986, um, actually it would have been 1987 when the race finished, the then BOC Challenge, which some people here locally will remember, um, was the name of the year round alone at the time, and um, it finished in Rhode Island when I was there running a race boat, and these freaking killer you know open 60s rolled into town Mm. with one guy on them and they're the fastest boats known to man and one guy's doing that and they went all the way around oh my god that's the coolest thing i've ever seen and that was the beginning of the end and uh, i ended up (coughs) taking a year off of college trying to make it happen and failed thank god i probably would have died (laughs) if i had done it as early as i wanted to do it but it wasn't that much longer i mean the race out of charleston was was 98 98. So we're talking, uh, I tried to do the 1990 race. So I did two years at USC, left USC okay. for a year to try to launch a campaign that failed. Oh, and I okay. went back to okay. USC, finished school, became a pilot, was, right. tr- you know, hauling down the aviation route, owned a small charter company in Santa Monica. And, um, and then it just came back in a flurry. You know, I had a yeah. little race boat that I kept in Marina del Rey. And I was just like, I not really want to do this. And, uh, my wife, Megan, um, and I, my previous wife, Megan, um, and I discussed it and decided that if I was going to give it a shot, we should do it before we had kids. So, so right. that was the beginning of a long, kid-friendly <laughs> experience, I suppose.
2: <laughs> we, we had another guest on the show, Rob Swan, who is the first man to have walked to both the North Pole and South Pole uh, unassisted. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and he refers back to his favorite, uh, adventure, the story of Ernest Shackleton's, uh, failed South Pole crossing.
3: It's my favorite story
2: of all time. Right. When yeah. did that come across you? Well,
3: and his was also, uh, uh, Robert Scott, Scott of the Antarctic was his favorite yeah. movie, you know, yeah. but then those guys ran in the same circles and adventured together. You right.
1: Know? Yeah. Yeah. The Shackleton, I mean, it blows my mind. I mean, I love the story of the heart of the sea. My, all those stories to me are where the rubber hits my road of, you know, interest and, um, uh, you know, especially uh, you know, true offshore adventures is sort of my favorite thing, and um, I can't believe there hasn't been a a big time production movie production of that Shackleton true. experience. I don't know how difficult that would be to do, but
3: yeah, because the, the the Scott <clears throat> of the Antarctic from
1: the nineteen fifties
3: that that film, and there's nothing been done of the Endurance.
1: It's a, and it's I mean, it just captivated me, and it still does. I mean, it was yeah. fun um, when you guys sent me the questions to. Rethink about you know that being my story of all time kind of thing, and I I've every book. That's yeah, ever been what is done, it about that, that 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 does it for well, you? Well, I, I mean, mean you know, okay. So I
3: mean, of course, when you when we're talking about adventures, I think you know I think it's good to clarify that when people think about adventuring, they might think about paddling to this other island in the Puget Sound, but we're talking about everything going wrong. Like, well, no, not really, just about. because every I mean, one
1: of them survived. And I mean, every
3: one of them survived, it, it, absolutely. But I mean, you know, the ship gets crushed by the ice, and then they it's, have it's to.
1: A, it's, I mean, to me, that story has so much meat on the bone. You know, it's um, first of all, any adventure of this nature. What I've come to realize, I thought that there was a higher purpose for all this when I started mm-hmm. doing it, but there, there really isn't. It's a very selfish enterprise to throw yourself or other people. Um, so at risk for nothing more than to do something somebody else hasn't done or to do something that you feel like you need to do for yourself. It's about yourself and people that um, I think try to turn it into a higher purpose or just trying to justify. I mean, have I ever motivated somebody to do something they would not have otherwise done? Yes, of course. Is that a big enough reason for me to have risked my life for myself, my family, my kids? No um it's cool byproduct but it's not the the why the why was be all internal there's an uh, uh, an obsession
3: there's an urge there that's just you can't right step and away I, from. I
1: mean sh- and going back to Shacklin, that's you know they were just trying to do something diff- new you yeah. know and you know they weren't they weren't trying to feed the world you know and right. uh the the story turned into something much more than what it started as and they never even accomplished their goal (laughs) and so they never set foot on Antarctica in that story no they got iced in and they made their way to Elephant Island and eventually sailed a you know a rescue boat that was canvassed over uh you know through one of the most dangerous parts of the ocean in the world and made it back to if you want to call out uh you know the whaling station civilization and then eventually rescued all their 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 teammates you know and and that if you could have designed that as the mission it would have been <laughs> much better than them achieving the transcontinental uh, okay. continental goal okay. and you know for them to live 18 months in that environment and you know after 8 or 9 months watching you know their ship basically just turn into rubble and sink to the bottom of the ocean and eat the dogs that they counted on and Learn how to kill penguins and be attacked by sea lions and keep each other alive um, was you know there's that just was the adventure better. yeah that was yeah. it yeah.
2: yeah I'm curious because we talked to a lot of guests and that's the theme of the show about that call to adventure and obviously adventures range from big uh, and 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 life threatening to very small um, of course yeah and and everywhere in between and and how does that for you with this how did that how did that process go I mean from saying, okay, I want to do this in my head, to verbalizing it, to to the friction maybe from others around you who said, Brad, you're crazy. I mean, walk us through a little bit of that.
1: You know, the interesting thing in in my life of what I did, sometimes those were the same people. (laughs) You know, growing up, my dad used to, uh, he was the most um, reassuring and empowering kind of father somebody could have. You know, I remember him putting me to sleep and saying, Brad, you know, the world of your oyster. You can do, you can make anything with this world that you've been given. If you want to do something, you can do it kind of mm. attitude. And and I swallowed that pill and I, you know, believed it. And fully empowering. You know, and at, yeah. at this point, you know, I'm lucky that I'm here and in some way, you know, I'm really beat up. I got permanent nerve damage, three back surgeries, and I'm never going to really be able to do s- some of the stuff later in life that I would probably have chosen to do because of what I've done in the past. But, I lived that. And the funny thing is that later on, you know, my, my father was always very supportive. My mom had, you know, concerns, you know, there'd be times when my dad would be worried there, you know, some family members would try to undermine the success of my campaign out of their love for me, quote, end of quote, you know, and, and, you know, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the few things you can go through in life that show you who your friends really are and what they, really Mm. believe not just say but you know actions that are louder than anything they could ever say and uh i would assume it's no different than you know a you know a politician deciding to run you know or something you just got to turn the volume off on the negativity and turn the volume up on the positivity and just put one foot in front of the other you know
3: well so your first go round which you've listed as your first major call to adventure uh you come in third place yeah. Um, I was reading a quote earlier from, from somebody also of Southern California, John Wooden. He's talking about um, extreme athletes and sports. And he says, uh, sports do not breed character, they reveal it. Right. And so, you know, as your father's, you know, encouraging you to do these things, I'm sure that, you know, and then you go, and you do, you go off and do this. You spend, what, 150 days out at sea the first time? Uh, I think 156, if I remember. We have to pause for a music break here, but when we come back, I'd like to know, like, sort of, what did that reveal in you, you know, after doing that? You know, it's sort of cool. I'm more excited to see
1: what songs you chose for me because I I put that right squarely in your lap. You did, man. (laughs) You did. So
3: we're going to go back to right around 1996, 97, just before you went out, and we're going to listen to Cake the Distance.
4: Reluctantly crouched at the starting line.
3: So that was uh, Cake from their album Fashion Nugget and The Distance we're back with Brad Van Loo it's John Duckworth with Alexopoulos here in the Ohm Radio headquarters and uh, before we left to hear the song that was one of the questions I had was what sort of parts of your character were revealed on that first round
1: alone the first round alone without question was um the hardest of the ones that I did. Um, that's the first time you really were stepping out into unknown territory. Well, I was a complete know. unknown. I, you know, the the long, you know, at that point, um, my qualifier for that race was, you know, you're required to do two thousand miles solo, and I was in California, so the logical thing to do was to sail from L.A. to Hawaii to qualify, which okay. I did. But you know, I mean, that's like, you know, at this point, I, I point I could probably paddle a floaty to Hawaii, you know? (laughs) So, so it, it didn't prep you as well for the uh, the Indian ocean. uh, Yeah. A little California boy, you know, a little time on the Atlantic. Um, I mean, I had had some rough rides in my day, but yeah, nothing like what I was, where I was headed. So yeah, race one, um, mentally was a huge challenge. Um, the butterflies in the stomach that would never go away. Um, Mm uh, an ongoing fear, an unfamiliarity, um, physically having to understand how to process. I mean, I was good at pain and I was good at athletics, you know, but I wasn't good at permanent pain. You know, I wasn't good at day in and day out and, um, the physical, um, things that it takes, you know, the mental things that it takes, the sleep deprivation training program that I was doing was pretty intense, trying to learn how to be competitive, you've got to, you got to cat nap, and then you got to do it in really short spurts and you got to sleep, uh, half alert, you know? So it's how, a, how, how long of a bit of sleep could you get at a time? Uh, so a brief, a brief explanation. Um, during that first race, we wore bio, I, I wore, I was a part of a program between, uh, the Harvard medical school and, and, um, NASA and they were developing a program that was really designed for executives that, um, operate multi, you know, global multinational companies. Um, so we became uh, kind of like guinea pigs for this thing, and um, they trained us to sleep in a self-hypnotic state um, that, or go to sleep in a self-hypnotic way. And we averaged, or I averaged, my, everybody was different. Uh, there was eight of us doing the program, and uh, I averaged, you know, I always shoot for 45-minute naps. My average was 26-minute naps with a minimum nap, nap length recorded of 10 minutes. And wow. I, what is going to happen with this train?
3: I know, man, it's still going. That's the loudest one we've ever had up here. We're going to keep it. <laughs> We're going to go, whoa, <laughs> this shows
1: like a train. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the train has left the station, gentlemen. <sighs> um, so anyway, so I averaged just under four hours of sleep a day. A day. Uh, when it was recorded that trip. And um, you, you, so you manage your sleep in a in a way where you keep track of your level of alertness. And if you get your level of alertness down to 70th percentile or below is when you're at risk of hallucinating and hallucinating and being alone on the ocean. Do not a not good combination. Mix. Yeah. Getting, getting off the boat to go grab a Domino's pizza and a six pack is a bad <laughs> idea. So, right. so yeah, you manage it very closely and you've got to do, do it in spurts. And uh, people that know me well, um, when I first started uh, dating Mike, my current wife, Amy, she was just tripped out because, you know, I'm one of those guys where I'll just say, I need 20 minutes, and I'll just sit down and close my eyes and bang, Bam, I'm gone, and, sleep. and I don't even own an alarm clock, and boom, I'm up in 20 minutes, and, you know, it's just, it's weird.
2: Ha- having to suffer through uh, the pain and the isolation and the fear and keeping your head calm and, and all those things that you had to go through on the open water, um have you found that you can transition those skills back into the land and, and, and sort of living a life that is more normal in terms of...
1: You can't. I mean, there's a definite... Um, it took a while to get good at flipping the switch on and off, and I don't even know really that how good I am. I mean, flipping it back on would be very tough for me now. Um, I've been on land now for... You know, since the record attempts I was doing with Maserati, I've basically been on land for, you know, over, over, over three years now, almost four years. So flipping that switch on would would be tough um, at this point. But, yeah, so the deal is what I learned in race one. Um, and, you know, so technologically I wasn't as advanced. So I had a lot more failures, problems with the boat, didn't understand the navigational and tactical point. You know, the, the race is extremely tactical, much more than people realize. It's a chess match. Hmm. And um, I wasn't g- very good at the, all that stuff in the beginning and had to learn it at a very rapid rate. And then the other thing that I had to learn personally was that y- it, you have to be able to turn off like everything. I mean, if you feel the pain, then you're not going to beat it. You just don't beat it. You just don't feel it. <laughs> you know, you don't feel the tiredness. You just accept it as a part of your your world. You don't fear the death. You know, it's... If it happens, it happens, but you're not going to sit there and think about it and once you release yourself from all that, then the butterflies do go away and you mm-hmm. get in the game and you're in the in the game in a in a much more intense way where you you, you don't have the care, it's gone, and if you don't care, um, then you can be much more competitive,
3: yeah, right right I mean, and and you get into a certain from what I gather a certain sort of a slipstream flow. Of mind that you're in the present moment because there's, because of the risk and the danger, that you have to be on point. And it's not like you can be, you know, past thinking, future thinking. You've got to be thinking about what's happening in that moment. It, mel- it melts
1: people very, and it, it creates a, it's a, it, you can tell very quick. Like in the last race that I did that started and finished in France. Uh, we're talking 2010 and 11 Um, there was a guy that's relationship um, was a big you know with his fiance was a big factor of what when he was competitive and not and they ended up eventually not getting married but you know they would have problems he'd fall off the back of the fleet you know so Uh it's you, you just you have to turn all that stuff off and realize that you come back to it when it's time, but right now it's not. And, um, it's a dangerous way to live. And I'll tell you, this was an interesting Isabel Otisier, who I think you might ask about, Mm -hmm. the woman that flipped in the Southern ocean that was rescued in leg one. She was here, uh, for the prize giving in Charleston. She came back for the prize giving in 1999 and we went out drinking, obviously after the prize giving a bunch of us. And, um, Isabel got completely snockered. She was very emotional, obviously. This was her last race, and she had, she was winning when she flipped her boat and nearly mm-hmm. died. And she was a mentor of mine in the sport. And I said, Isabel, this is really exciting. I did better than I expected. You know, I I've I learned a lot. I feel like I now have the tools to really do this, and I'm thinking about maybe, you know, I want to continue. I go, how do you know when to stop? And she goes, she goes, uh, well, Brett, uh, I only just uh, discovered when to stop. And uh, when it becomes uh, too easy and you enjoy yourself, it's time to stop. Oh, wow. You know? And the last race, I... I was in it, man. I was having fun. I didn't want it to end. I mean, I was just... If you could have told me I could sail around the moon and back, I would have just kept on going. Kept going, really. And and
2: is that because the edge is no longer there, and so you get too comfortable? Is that what you... And that becomes dangerous? It's almost like that
1: little world and that line of thinking and that focusing on the things to be competitive in the race and to do the boat and to do the life. You don't feel those pains anymore and the things that... It's just... it. I was just having a blast. And when you start having fun going Mach two with your hair on fire and uh, you know, blasting across iceberg territories on a boat that shouldn't even be there to begin with, and you know, you're like, Woohoo, this is a gas. You know, this is not a roller coaster ride, you're not strapped in. So you know? Right. And so you, it's that's when it gets dangerous. That's when it gets dangerous. Yeah.
2: I've never really understood the the adrenaline junkie and the, the mindset that puts you on the edge of life or death um but when we were preparing for the conversation and we were thinking about sort of meditation and in, in 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 that uh, you know one of the objectives in being present and sort of the 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 adrenaline seekers i mean that does force that same uh mindset of being a hundred percent present
1: in it one. does and I think adrenaline you know um fosters itself in different ways in different people, you know, um, and no matter what adrenaline you're talking about, whether you're a wingsuit flyer and you're doing it for 30 mm-hmm. seconds or whether you're an around the world sailor and you're doing it for nine months at a time, the one thing that is always, um, simple about uh, why people seek for that adrenaline junkie mode is for one very reason. And it's to be 100% in that spot and nowhere else.
3: Yeah, I was doing some research right. about that, and I think there's there's a lot of people who will, who have this expectation that it involves being risk like not having any fears and taking any risks, and that and that the reality is is that uh, most people who do this won't do it with somebody who's fearless because they th- because it it it's fear is a necessary component and that they also um it's it is a meditation that this guy a uh, uh, a guy burmer who did a study said um They're not just seeking an adrenaline rush. Rather, what keeps them coming back is something akin to the flow-like state achieved through mindful meditation, one in which you're so in the moment that everything else drops away. That's right. Dean Potter, a wingsuit jumper, you mentioned a wingsuit guy, and he just died. Was it last year or the year before? When talking about this, he said, My vision is sharper. I'm more sensitive to sounds. My sense of balance and the beauty all around me. Something sparkles in my mind, and then nothing else in life matters. Do you get a sense of that when you're out there Completely. in the middle? Completely, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's a largely a part of the why. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and and you knew that going in or was that the hook once you did it the first time? I don't
1: time? think I, um, I you know, I mean, like I said, I raced motocross and ski yeah. raced and stuff, so I sort of, I guess I had, Snip. I've always needed a singularity I guess in what I I guess you this know, was a longer maybe a I don't know you know I didn't really get it figured out till um halfway around race two I almost quit okay. race two when I was racing for Tommy Hilfiger really yeah I almost quit in uh, New Zealand and I was you know had the perfect sponsor the perfect team the perfect yeah. boat was winning everything and um The why I was going to quit reasons just sounded so stupid, but it was nobody else's business in my mind. And it's like, forget it, you know? And, and I went down into the Southern ocean around Cape Horn and that boat. That's when I had my aha moment that, you know, hold it, you know, (laughs) um, I keep worrying about other stuff. All my, my world is 18 feet wide and 56 feet long and a hundred feet high and 15 feet deep. And that is it. That's it. Other than that, you know, none of that matters right now. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that's that was my when it hit, and it only got better and better and better until it got so easy that um, it was too easy. Too easy. Tell us the story because
2: you finish race one. It's a gigantic effort to raise monies to get a boat up and running to do race two. But you you determine you're you're going to do race two because you want to see if you can win. Right. right? Yeah. Um, how how did you go about
1: that? Because. Um, you know, it was a, it was, um, something that I sort of threw, um, my ex-wife Megan and myself over the, over the sword on. And, um, she, um, is, was at that time running, you know, my business as far as the sports marketing side of the house. And she worked very, very hard. And it was a very, it was always a really tenuous, every campaign. And we got lucky sometimes, and we were good others, and we just patched it together, and we had people help us here and there. Uh, ultimately, in race three, um, that race financially destroyed uh, me and Megan. And, um, you know, the timing couldn't have been worse, you know, with the fundraising going on in 08, 09, 2010, you know. Right. But, um, it, again, it's the same thing. It's It's full-body abandonment. It is it's all or nothing and we're not af- afraid to die financially over this and we're and it was fan- i mean it, it was a, a really quite beautiful story on um, um the campaign initially we had planned on doing an open 60 for class one there was still an open 50 class to participate in as a backup which ended up happening which all ended up happening in a in a, in a, a condo owned by a friend of ours in england on the thames and um He was my arch nemesis sort of in the first race. He and I had become bonded, but we had some issues. He he's a guy that got second in front of my third. He was a very wealthy um, entrepreneur from England, and he had a fantastic open 50. And my campaign at this time, I was racing in Europe and uh, doing a bunch of stuff around the Atlantic, and we were spending a weekend. Megan was doing the PR for the race, and we were we were in his flat up there. Beautiful place uh, hanging out for the weekend as I was doing a layover between Germany and, and coming here to Baltimore. And, uh, it was one of the few times Meg and I actually saw each other for the whole time. Cause I was on the boat racing with Josh Hall and, and, uh, she was doing PR and media stuff. <clears throat> and so we were telling Mike and Diane that, um, our campaign was on the rocks and we were drinking all sorts of brown liquor on the rocks <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, we were sitting around and, uh, Mike says, Hey, uh well, how much money you got in your pocket? You know, and uh I whipped out my wallet and I had a ten pound note and I threw it on the table and he says, Sweet, you just bought yourself an open fifty, you're back in the race. And I went, What? you know, kind of thing and um lo and behold, you know, he said, Okay, we're gonna talk to the attorneys tomorrow, no big deal, but I don't want your career to stop here and um we'll figure something out. But you're taking you're taking Miguel and Alpha, which was the name of his boat when it was here in Charleston in the ninety eight race. Around the world, and I don't care how we work it out, but you're not going to stop here because you can win one of these things. And um, so, wow. Meg and I went to the bedroom and and uh, created uh, Tate Magellan Van Lu, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the end of that, you know. And we came back three months later, and I sailed that puppy home here to Charleston. And Teddy Turner had become a friend and volunteered his boatyard, and that was what moved us to Charleston from LA. Wow. Wow.
3: What an unexpected way to get in yeah. there.
1: Yeah. And that, that became Tommy Hilfiger. And the funny okay. thing is, um, to put it into a timestamp, uh, Megan had to get doctor approval to, uh, fly her last meeting, um, up to Tommy Hilfiger to try to sell our title sponsorship deal to Tommy before Tate was born. And the doctor allowed her to fly up there and we had our last meeting and, um, they th- said they needed to th- think about it a few days, and she went overdue. And the day, the night that Tommy's head of marketing called and said we got a deal is the the day that Tate was born. Okay. Wow, yeah. what a great story!
2: Yeah. Well, you talked about solo racing as everything about a team. You know, when you think of solo racing, you think of it being an individual, but there's so much. That goes into it from so many people to put that together. It's
1: much more logistically staggering from a manpower and otherwise point, uh, you know, proposition than people realize. Yeah,
2: it's it's also interesting when when you commit to something fully. And my guess is that when you commit to it, you commit fully. um, There's no going back. It's it's one direction. Yeah, I'm going to sail this race, this second race, and you won it. By the way, right? Yeah, every leg of it. Yeah. Yeah, every leg of it. Um,
3: I think every leg of the third one, too.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into the third race because that brought with it a lot of
1: downsides as well. Yeah, it was the beginning of the the end for a lot of things in my life, yeah. But before we do, uh, I want to cut to a tune
2: another one uh, that we chose um, by The Flaming Lips. Oh geez! <laughs> <laughs> Surprising. Wondering.
1: All right. Well, this doubting <laughs> my pass off here.
3: <laughs> yeah. Right. This one's called Fight Test. Oh. Okay. Cool. So it seems like it uh, might be appropriate for what you were about to get into.
1: Right on. Hope you enjoy.
2: test <laughs> It's on now. Back, ohm Radio, ninety-six point three. Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, and we're here with Brad Van Loo. Um Show you win the second race around the world. As as John mentioned, you you there's five legs. You won every single leg. Um, pretty magical accomplishment. Um, and you decide what, what what was the inspiration or motivation to go out yet again
1: yeah i didn't think i was i thought i was done when i finished in Newport Rhode Island um uh that Tommy Hill figure race you know race number 2 uh we had a big tour to do afterwards um with the boat sponsored by Tommy and then beefeater and and i i really felt like that i had accomplished everything that i would ever wanted to do and um my mentor in the sport um, an, an american named mike plant um you know he and i were now the only two you know he had died offshore and he meant a lot to me and um we were now shared, sharing an accomplishment that um, was the pinnacle of where I wanted to go. You know, so I didn't, I didn't know. So I came back to Charleston not knowing if I was going to continue racing on that you know, in that event or doing that those kinds of races again. And um, ultimately, was approached by the the folks that were wanting to build the tall ship here in town, and and decided to take a sabbatical and and uh, get into that world a bit and help help them out. So we just sort of put everything on. Standby and just uh, again. I thought it was done, um, but you know it's weird. Just you know, I'm one of those guys. You know, when something hits, it hits. If it hits hard enough, you know, once you light the fuse, you can't get away from it. it, it. Yeah, you know, once you light that fuse, it it, well, well, it turns into a very big explosion.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> you had been removed from it for quite a while—about I mean, eight years, it, right?
1: Right. right. Uh, well, in between races, in was. between races. So yeah, about about well, you know, we had about a year worth of work. It, it was about six, yeah.
3: And that's about how long you were with the Maritime Foundation? That's about right, yeah.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. So what was the spark that lit that? Because I think having accomplished a feat of going around the world three times solo is, is never been accomplished before by an American.
1: <gasps> by an American. Well, no, that's not true. Mike Plant actually did do three around-the-world races. He unofficially finished race number two um, because he re- had to get some assistance in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So uh, technically, I'm the only American who finished officially three races.
2: Was that part of the motivation? I mean, I'm just curious. You're on
1: land for six years. You've, you've reached I, you the know, pinnacle.
2: I mean, what was it that said, I got to do it again?
1: Well, so the Maritime Foundation started working with um, the organizers of the race to um, bring the race here um, prior to even my committing to do it. And, my, and part of why I wanted to bring it here was to sort of get back in that world a little bit. I didn't know to what extent. Um, And it ended up lighting a fire. And, you know, Megan and I were very um, burned out in a lot of different ways with what we were doing. And we wanted a change. And um, it was a logical change and um, felt to me like an exciting way to reignite um, the excitement of our life, you know. And uh, our lives become kind of stagnant. We were plugging along with the foundation, but it was... It was always difficult, you know, it's a non-profit and it's, you know, it was fun and it was interesting and enjoyable and we garnered a million and a half friends off of it, but, um the end of the day it's just not really exactly who i am and i needed to make a move
3: and the boat was done beautiful boat in the water
1: yep and you've
3: got two kids and maybe this time you can they're actually old enough to share this experience with
1: yeah and that's it's interesting you bring it up that was part of the motivation was to do something special with the children and it's not like in my financial bracket i was going to be able to go like cruise the world with the kids or something so this the, the the one of the rules that we stuck to that was financially um a bad decision, but I would probably not change even to this day is that, oh, we had the commitment that we were going to, you know, the, travel the, as a family, we're going to travel as a family. So okay. the kids ended up living in France and Africa and New Zealand. And, wow. yeah. and, um, it became a, a thing to this day that even young Wyatt, you know, talks about all the time. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Absolutely. So in that regard, it was quite a, quite a decision for the family. I mean, adventure.
3: you talk about the, the sort of, you know, uh, maybe the bad financial decisions. But, uh, I mean, at this time, you didn't have a title sponsor for this third race. Well,
1: that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed um, to there happen. There were a couple of uh, gentlemen here locally that supported us financially that were intending to get paid back through the, our acquisition of sponsorship that never happened. Okay. And in the long run, all that stuff just fell apart. You know, it was, it, financially, was devastating for sure. Yeah. Um, as, as 2008 and 9 and 10 were for a lot of people. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if I'd been in aviation in those years, it probably would have been just as devastating, and that's where I now. So.
3: Well, I mean, one of the things, though, that I find, yeah, I've, I've, I've known quite a few really good sailors in my life, and, and they tend to be, in my experience, some of the most inventive, like necessity being the mother of in, invention is, to me, what defines somebody who spends a lot of time in a sailboat. Like, just being able to handle anything that comes out on the spot. You know, you can't, you don't have a lot of time when you're out there on the, on the open water to fix something that goes terribly wrong. And I, I'm sure that there's some crossover into life back on shore. Um, Before we get into that, though, maybe um, just for the fun of it, share with us one of, like, the biggest nightmares that happened out in the open water.
1: Oh, man. You know, I'd I'd like to... I mean, I'll tell you, you know, obviously, I travel around not as much as I used to doing speaking ops, and this is a fairly regular question, and, you know, tell us your scariest story or whatever, and I'll tell you, to be really honest, the scariest um, stuff are to this day, you know, like the PTSD type of okay. stuff that I have left over. Um, you can talk to Amy all day. You know, she, there's times when I wake up, she goes, oh, you were crying all night again. Uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. So what happens is the, um, the the fear that comes flooding back when you are really asleep in a warm bed and in a comfortable environment and your, your REM starts processing and you, you have nightmares about, you know, my my, very common recurring nightmare for me is, um, to fall off the back of a boat and watch it sail away, Oh Uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, so the, the biggest gnarly isms are the waking up in cold sweats, absolutely convinced that, you know, you did, you know, miss that iceberg by an inch, you know? Um, and in the real experiences, you know, the, 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 there, there's a three or four, you know, the, obviously the, the one that's probably, um, you had a mast fall uh, the him? dismasting was miserable, um, okay. and, uh, emotionally difficult and all that, but it was nothing like getting rolled over. Um, so I got before the mast fell in like three of the first race, uh, when I was diverted to Isabel, you got rolled. Yeah, I was diverted to Isabel. It pulled me off of my plan um, for the weather that was coming up. And I was staying further north than the rest of the crowd because I was behind them and there was a big depression coming. And so I had to dig deep down south to get down into the latitudes where she was. And it pulled me um, off my rhythm a bit. And then this depression just kept growing and growing and growing. And we watched it for weeks. It was bad enough that um, the, um, the leader of my class, a guy named J.P. Moulinier, his support team actually flew to Los Angeles to our house to be with Megan while I went through this storm because um, there was a lot of press about the fact that there's no way I could survive it. And I did end up getting rolled and um, eventually rolled back up. Um, I was bare pulled at the time, which I shouldn't have been. I made some mistakes. And um, it was in the South Pacific. So it's a very iridescent blue color water like that iceberg look at pictures of iceberg type water yeah and the boat rolls upside down and in through those those you know, those lights in the top of the coach roof you know comes this blue iridescent sort of color and it's blowing 75 or 80 and more and it's the waves are 50 60 70 feet i mean i don't know they are taller as my mast you know so 70 feet i guess top to bottom and um and then everything just went silent you know it was whistling and things were banging and screaming and yelling and then it just goes blue and silent and you just i just got mad just did got, you really just start punching the boat you know just you know why the hell am i here what was i thinking kind of stuff and then bam the boat flips back over and whacks my head and i wake up a few minutes later and go holy crap we're back in the game we're back in yeah yeah.
3: Wow. So, Is, I mean, speaking of getting rolled, I mean, that, did, it, did it feel like that in the third race when when, when everything, of course, you know, you're winning and you're re- able to use the prize money to fund the next.
2: You, you know, have game.
1: to, right? It, you don't have, have to. That, you well, have for, to I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, there was a big purse. to Right. Uh, and so, you know, when I started that race, my commitment to myself was there's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win every dollar I can. And, of course. You know, I'm really yeah. sorry, guys, but, you know, you're screwed because uh-huh. I'm here to win, you know, kind of attitude because we're not moving on without it. You had extra motivation, yeah. Yeah, it was a do-or-die yeah. do kind of deal, yeah, again.
3: <laughs> but, you, yeah, and you get through it, and, and, and then, I mean, it's got to feel like, I mean, I'm, I keep thinking about Robert Swan. We, we interviewed him. Mm-hmm. He walks to the South Pole, and as he's w- walking back, just days before he gets back to the boat that's going to take him home, his boat sinks. Wow. And on it, $50,000 in, in cash, so not only I mean it was like everything you know and right. and and so it was like this this like you know, the pinnacle and the lowest point all at once. Yeah. And and I, I got to imagine that there was some similarities there when you...
1: Very it, much. You know, there's a photo that floats around a lot, I think. I might have even sent it to you guys, um, you know, of me with this American flag up at the bow of the boat, finishing the V-Lux. And, you know, there's no doubt, you know, after that finish, we had to wait for the tides for like three hours, just drifting around out there um, before we could get into Before the you c- could come in? Okay, okay. Into the city, yeah. And uh, I remember the, during that three hours just going, oh my gosh, what the heck have I done and where am i going from here you know, know, <laughs> you know you're stuck in both sides of the spectrum you wanted to go back out yeah, around. yeah. Keep and, going. yeah. and i sailed there from charleston because charleston was our last stop and you know i mean at that point these boats had gotten so fast i mean it only took me about 11 days to get there so i'd only been gone from charleston 11 days but okay. my whole world was a different place yeah it's, the boat is sold at
2: auction afterwards yes you end up needing to file personal bankruptcy
1: yep and corporate
2: maybe went too far uh and it was a race you shouldn't have done. Or are there, I guess, are there any um, Are there any uh, you know, every, regrets that
1: you have? I
2: mean, first or of Or is all that just part of it,
1: it? You know, I mean, those... those I mean, it was my, my due time. I mean, everything financially with these races was always, you know, like we've already discussed. Not very, sensible. Very tenuous. Eventually, you play Russian roulette that many times, there's going to be a bullet in the chamber, you know? But in saying that, you know, everything in life happens for a reason. I really uh, appreciate... The, the gentleman that that made it possible financially, and I hope that I, you know, I hope they got what they wanted out of it. And um, those were personal things too. This wasn't a bank deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Megan and I, you know, it forced me down some, in some dark places with my relationship with Megan and and it was hard on us and on the kids. But again, everything, I've never been happier in my life. The kids are fantastic. Megan and I get along great. I'm really, I've never been so happy as I am married to Amy. And none of that could have, or would have been triggered without the full body abandonment thing. And so sometimes, you know, you just got to live with the actions that you take and 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 hope that the reaction is is worthwhile that 's an incredible
2: strength to have the well, not no fear but um, fear diminishes because, because you know out the other end whatever it is, you can handle it and recover from it you know yeah
1: i mean listen there's a really um there, there was a very dark time, you know, when when um, I was no longer living with Megan and I was living um, for a short period. I stayed with my sister and Megan stayed in the house and I was financially in ruins. And, you know, that's a pretty high, high to go from to a fairly low low. In a pretty in, short period of time. In a, in a short period of time. And, you know, it was funny. Um, my sister, and it obviously it was a huge deal to my extended family, my friends, everything. It was a very, very difficult time. And I was driving to work one morning, um, and uh, you know we were still trying to patch together, you know, sailing related business stuff. It was sort of right before I started flying again, and and I was driving my and I didn't see my sister, but she, my sister who lives here in town, she's a veterinarian, she was parked in her truck at an intersection. I had some music on and I was bobbing my head and singing into the song don't even remember what it was at this point but she said she saw me at that red light and I was just as happy as a lark driving to work that morning after getting up in her guest room with my kids and my to be ex wife living up in you know with my financial ruins and going through all this stuff going on and she's like I've I've never had such an amazing um, life lesson as seeing you at that red light just singing your way along and just you just every morning you get up and you put your feet on the floor and you just keep going and you do it with a smile and and something's gonna happen. And I've never been so happy now. So, I mean, you just, it, giving up is not in my vocabulary. Well, I found that that seems to be a common
3: thread with a lot of these sort of experiences. You know, I mean, I would never wish great tragedy and misfortune and, you know, dark nights on people. But, you know, particularly if, like when you said, you know, giving up's not in your vocabulary you're going to come through that a better person and that's what i found with every, you know across the board anybody who we've interviewed here who goes through something like that who doesn't give up in the midst of those dark moments who ends up getting through it comes back and says man i wouldn't i wouldn't give it back
1: and i would for anything you, you know you were basically yeah. asking that and i wouldn't you know as as i would never want to go back to that hole that i was right. in but i couldn't have gotten to the top of the mountain i'm on now without being there and um and i it, a lot of people don't get that Um, and to varying degrees that that is what, you know, listen, (laughs) I hope that I'm a good enough person that at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, the almighty decides to let me walk through the pearly gates. And when I do everything, I guess will be perfect. So I'm told, um, until then we're human (laughs) and I'm going to live this life, um, the best I can, which is not going to be perfect, you know? And, um, when it becomes perfect, it's not life on earth. So, whatever. <laughs> well, there's, sometimes there's a sense that that idea of perfect
3: might be a bit boring. So. You, well, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's certainly yeah. been a lot more
1: interesting for you. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've definitely thrown some spice into the life.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it goes back to Isabel's point of when when everything's fun and easy, then uh, it's time to call it quits.
1: I didn't really get it. You know, even then, I thought, ah, really? drunk French <laughs> chick, whatever, dude. You're just hammered. To go, and she ended up throwing up in a bush about two minutes later. I'm like, ah, I don't think that's going to work for me. She was absolutely right, though. It got way too easy. I'm like, uh, I think we need to oh, man. pull a foot off the gas on this one. So you still get back on the water, though. I mean, you're doing uh, uh, you did projects with Team Maserati. Yeah. Um, set some set some records. Um, as far as ratified W, you know, World Sailing Federation records, there's only one that I was a part of that. Okay. Uh, that we held, which is a rat Columbus took to the Caribbean. Okay, Um, but we attempted many of them. Yeah, you attempted many other too. Yeah, Yeah. are you still involved with them or not really? Um, Basically, my racing career is over. Okay, after back surgery number three, I've got a. How when was that? Uh, I got home from the hospital on Halloween Day two years ago. Two years ago. Okay, and um, it left me with some permanent nerve damage. So my balance is not nearly as good as it was, and that's not good for. It's not the the whole. The whole package is not um, (laughs) okay. Not what she used to be. Let's just say uh, my hole's got a few miles under the keel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely,
2: you've been rolled and rolled
1: back over. Yeah,
3: exactly. And so, right right now, you're focusing on the uh, consulting, coaching, motivational speaking. Um, I do some of that.
1: My biggest focus really is um, I've just gotten back into flying. You know, into flying. Right. I help you know, okay. I uh, help Amy with her business a little bit, and um, yeah, and. Uh, we work together as much as my time can permit um which is less and less cuz uh, aviation here in Charleston is exploding so um I'm a contract pilot and manage a couple airplanes and um What's the new
3: one you're reading the manual on right now?
1: Oh, yeah. You're in deep on? Very deep, yeah. I leave on uh, (laughs) April 4th to Wilmington, Delaware to flight safety to do a three-week training in a, it's called a, it's a Beechcraft Premier 1A. It's actually right up my alley. It's the fastest uh, single pilot certified non-military jet in the world. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a big lawn dart, so that's cool. As long as I'm going (laughs) 600 miles an hour, everything's good. (laughs) Is that how fast it goes? Uh, It cruises at 453 knots, so 500 and
2: change, yeah. Wow. So before we cut to our last song... um, Share with us your favorite movie is
1: uh, what Talladega Nights, Ta- yeah, Tal- without Dega- a doubt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ricky Bobby. Oh, yeah, the ballads of ballads of Ricky Bobby. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, Talladega Nights I thought was a really funny movie until we couldn't find sponsorship. There was a night that uh, Um, my then brother-in-law, Brendan and myself and my team, Jeffrey and JC and Megan, we were all laying around in the living room, sort of licking our wounds, not knowing what color to paint the boat because we were at that phase. And we threw in Talladega Nights to get a laugh, and I'm like, holy crap, this is us, you know? <laughs> I'm the, the pizza guy on the bicycle needing to, like, like capture the cougar and figure out how the <laughs> hell to get my my juice back, you know? <laughs> oh, man. And um, we just started laughing and drinking about it, and I said, that's it, boys. And we went out on the back deck, and I said, "Get get a piece of paper. We're making a list. And I'm like... Here's the deal. The boat's going to be Talladega night's car yellow. Uh, I even at that point had decided that I was going to put a cougar on the side of it and and come up (laughs) with all these weird sayings like they, you know, they had all those sayings on his car. Like if you're not fast, you're whatever. And you know, if you're if you're not winning you're losing and all these things that were just like total crap you know right. so I came up with um, we named the team Team Lazarus in other words coming back from the dead okay. put that all down the side of the boat we named the boat Le Penguin because it was always Le Penguin but made it this angry cougary penguin and slapped that on the side and then I just kept coming up with it was like our joke more stupid to throw on our, our logo so you know full noise or no noise on every piece of of gear and you know all this stuff <laughs> the whole and thing it, was modeled after it was all Taladega Taladega nights. Nights. the whole <laughs> thing was just Talladega oh <laughs> man well it doesn't
3: surprise me because you've always liked to have a good time so <laughs> oh, yeah. and found a way to do it even apparently in the midst of uh, yep. not an easy time
2: <laughs> yep it's <laughs> not worth living unless you can smile speaking of Amen. a good time been great to spend an hour with you thank thanks. you thanks for sharing the stories and uh We're going to cut out with uh, uh, one from Coldplay. All right, now we're getting closer. (laughs) We might, you know, do
3: this
1: again, we might get there. (laughs) There you go.
3: This one's called Up Against the World, which I imagine at some point, you know, at the end of uh, the V Lux race, you might have felt like. Uh, Without a doubt. Yeah. Let's hear it.
0: I wanna die in your arms. Oh, oh, oh. oh. She get lost.
3: We're back. Uh, That was Coldplay, Us Against the World. And it's John Duckworth here with Alexopoulos and Brad Van Lu, And uh, an extraordinary individual who's been around the world three times. And um, his favorite quote was from Eleanor Roosevelt. And she says, you must do the things you think you cannot do. And he certainly has done that.
2: Yeah, I mean talk about adventures, right? I mean, he's taken some pretty uh, gargantuan adventures. Uh, uh, but I, I, I'm intrigued by uh, a, a lot of things about what he said. But one of the things sort of is, you know, uh, I think full body abandonment is mm-hmm. how he referred he to it, He right? said a high
3: school football coach of yeah. his was talking to him about that. And that. And he's applied it
2: to his life. And, he, and you know, in 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 some... You know the idea of not having a plan B, a lot of us would think, well, that's not very thoughtful, but when you only have a plan a <laughs> you, you you have singular focus on that accomplishment um, yeah and 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 that's powerful absolutely right? yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. things move to make it happen right and and that was one of the other things he said in in uh, uh, one of his talks he gives um, he said, "Fall in love with something and do it well, and the red carpet will unfold right. And, and it, it's not fall in love with, you know, a handful of different things you decide to do. He he He's talking about this one thing that he decided to do and, and do it well.
2: The other thing that I was really uh, curious by is, you know, the fear that we all have as we're approaching a new adventure. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I think it's worthy of saying, I mean, for a 10-year-old, that might be just wearing a different outfit than what his or her peers are doing, right? That's, that's breaking out. That's a little call to adventure. Yeah. That's the way I think of it, you know? Um, and you know, on a bigger scale sailing around the world, that's a big call to adventure. Um, but a lot of us have fear about taking that step Mm -hmm. and it's getting through that fear and that obstacle. But I think what's, what's gotta be really powerful for him is having gone through the experience of the v race and having it been disastrous really on every level financially, his marriage ended up falling apart because of it. Um, and yet he would not take it back. No regrets. It actually was the... Process that got him to the place where he is today, uh, which is the happiest he's ever been. Yeah, and I think that's such a powerful thing, right? When when you don't have any attachment to the outcome, mm-hmm. because you know that whatever it is, it it will be a powerful experience and a learning opportunity.
3: Yeah, formative, right? And and regardless, I mean, I think that there's an a, there's a, there's an aversion to you know uncomfortable things and and it 's just a human trait, you know, but uncomfortable things are going to happen to everybody on the planet, challenging uncomfortable situations and and being able to to have a mindset of i 'm okay with that and and where am I going to be as I get through this is 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 uh, a healthy mindset to take, and it seems to have served him really well
2: yeah, yeah, I mean, because we think about ooh, if it goes well, wonderful right but a lot of the fear might come from what happens if it doesn't go well. And yet yeah. he uses that as a powerful thing to say, well, if it doesn't go well, uh, it's still an experience, right? To, to learn from. Yeah. I think that's what he said about those he doesn't admire in, in terms of equality, that's which right. is the inability to learn from an experience.
3: Yeah, right, right. The in- and grow into a better person is right. what he said. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just like he says, just like you learn by making mistakes at school or on the football field or racing against others, one should learn in a behavioral and communication sense and learn from your mistakes in order to grow into a better person. Right. And I guess you can, uh, he says mistakes, but it, it's, it's not just mistakes. These are just, you know, situations that arise that challenge you. Right. And if you're not learning from those, uh, then, then, then you're not growing. You're not moving into your full potential. Because they're, they're always going to happen. I mean, I think that's the thing. All of us are going to be challenged with all kinds of different things. And so there's no way of avoiding that. And just being averse to that, you know, you can lock yourself up in a closet somewhere, and that's not going to help. You're not going to get anywhere.
2: The, the the you know another point that I was really intrigued by is you know you, you have a a, a, a a full meditation practice um, and you know one of one of the objectives if that's the term you even would use mm-hmm. with it would be to to be present you know to to your, to your mind and your state and I just find it intriguing that he's he he gets to the same place uh, through absolutely a diametrically opposed process right he's not sitting still at all i mean he's putting himself in terrifying death uh you know scenarios and yet it it creates that same thing which is full present state of mind as to where you are and what is, you know, I, I think that's yeah. really interesting. It makes me think like what other things out there <laughs> are there that you can get to the same place by going diametrically a different direction.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's quite a few probably. probably yeah. Probably. It's a fun thing to yeah. think about, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, either way it's a practice, you know, and as long as he's, you know, learning from that experience, you know, as, you know, for instance, me with my sitting meditation it 's a it 's a practice to try and just to get to understand that particular mental state and you know as he 's out on these races it's uh, I, I imagine it 's a similar practice to to get a sense for what that what that feels like and hopefully you know um, both of them can lead to bringing that sort of uh,
2: awareness back into day, you know, your day-to-day situation. Well, I think that's the danger, right? Because if you can accomplish that presence in sort of those environments, the danger is that you can't bring that back with you into sort of maybe a more normal environment. And so you almost Mm -hmm. become addicted to those environments.
3: Yeah, which becomes a bit of, you know, escapist on some level. Right. And and I think that's easy to happen too. Right. But, you know, what a colorful uh, human being. Uh, I love the description of him. Painting and designing his entire boat after Talladega nights. Ah,
2: it's beautiful, right? <laughs> ah, and his description of Isabel and <laughs> yeah. her, her wisdom after a few cocktails. Yeah, uh, I, I, we could, we could uh, we'll definitely have to go to a pub afterwards at some point and have a cu- few uh, liquor drinks with him. Yeah, absolutely. Share, share more absolutely. stories. Absolutely, yeah. and,
3: and glad that he recognized the, the <clears throat> moment that was right to stop. Because I think so many people, you know, and, and including some of the, you know, the guys like Rob Swan admires, you know, Robert Scott. And, you know, he, you know, died right. um, uh, at, at, at the end of his adventures. And, and I think in these sort of extreme sports, that happens a lot.
2: Yeah, it does. Well, thank you to, uh, to the listeners for spending another hour of your time with us. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Brad Van Luw. And uh, to Thomas and Corbin and Katie and the whole team, Vicki and Lee, uh, thanks for all making it happen. Thanks for giving us the opportunity to share other stories with you. Um, and, uh, John, you have anything you wanted to finish off with? No, it's a
3: good conversation. Look forward to uh, sharing it with everybody. Yeah. And, and uh, of course, you can always tune in. Uh, to 96.3 if you're here in the Charleston area, or you can go online to omradio963.org and live stream it.
1: Cool.
2: We'll see you on the flip side.
0: And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.